Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson from SaveWithConrad.com. Heads up, homeowners, all of a sudden your house is worth more than ever these last few years. But what are we going to do with that newfound equity? No, I'm not suggesting you sell your house or go buy something else. But didn't we all make this decision when we bought a house where we said, hey, someday we'd like to, and one day it would be nice if, maybe it's the dream kitchen, maybe it's an in-ground pool, maybe it's a man cave. But you've got this newfound equity, and I think we should use some of that equity to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket. But even better than that, we're routinely helping folks do this, and they wind up with a cheaper monthly payment. So if you got the dream house you always wanted, with no money out of pocket, and your payments went down, how easy is that? Find out how easy it is to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. We can't wait to hear about your projects. Tell us what your dream is. We're going to help you make it happen at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! How's it going, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by the Ad-Free Shows Network and Podcast Seed. I am John Alba, but I am not alone because I am joined at this time by the man of the hour, my co-host here on Strictly Business, the star you may say, Mr. Eric Bischoff, Easy e What's going on, brother? I'm loving that beard. I don't know if Mrs. B is, but I'm loving it. No, she's not. She's not at all. I uh, Once we finished our tour in the UK, I just kind of quit shaving and, and brought it home with me, at least the start of it. I just haven't gotten around to shaving it off quite yet, but uh, I suspect that I will soon because Mrs. B is not a fan. Historically, has that been the track record? Has she never, never been a fan of the facial hair? Uh, she's not a big fan. You know, she doesn't mind if I keep it a little scruffy and, you know, a little rough looking, but... Once it gets this long, she she starts looking at me cross-eyed. She's not a fan of beard in general. And I think on me it just, you know, adds age. So <laughs> she's probably, <laughs> probably going, Oh my God, who is this old fucker I'm married to? <laughs> <laughs> well, that old fucker is the star of strictly business, and I'm grateful to get to do this show with you every single week. And I'm very grateful, by the way. We got our ad free shows family in here. We got Eric Green saying we get two times with Eric in one day. Man, I must be living my life right. We got Coach Rosie. What's up, Rosie? We got hey, Coach Andrew Miller. How you doing, Andrew? Good to have you in here. Uh, this is going to be and ask Eric anything about the business of the business episode of Strictly Business and our ad-free shows family will be present to ask questions throughout the course of it. So you should be signing up for adfreeshows.com, but that's not the only reason they should, Eric, because all the bonus content we have over on adfreeshows.com, well, one of them is our premier series, and that is Ask Conrad. The Ask Conrad series just dropped its 60th episode where you get to ask the podfather any question you want here is an exclusive clip from episode 60, and it's talking about how wrestling right now is hotter than ever. Dylan Leahy says there have been two wrestling booms in WWE's history, the Golden Era and the uh, Attitude Era. And Conrad's opinion, are we going to look back at this current period of wrestling as the third big boom 
and really wrestling as a whole. Yes, we're in it right now. We're in the biggest boom of all right now. And I know that people would argue that and say less people are watching. That doesn't matter. What matters is how much money is coming in. And they're more profitable doing bigger numbers than ever before right now. We're in the boom right now. I'm going to ask you about that in one second, Eric, but I want to remind everyone you can catch all 60 plus episodes of Ask Conrad plus other exclusive series like Lex Express with Lex Luger, Tuesday with the Taskmaster with Kevin Sullivan, Monday Mailbag with Mike Kyoto and Nick Patrick and much more only at AdFreeShows.com. When you hear those comments from Conrad, let's throw aside numbers for a second because we know wrestling right now is incredibly profitable. Do you feel like we're in a boom period with wrestling? It's undeniable. Um, when you look at where professional wrestling is within pop culture, in terms of its distribution, you know, WWE is in what 180 different countries and 30 different languages or 30 different countries and 180 different languages, something like that. When you, when you just look at the, just the footprint of professional wrestling and the impact professional wrestling has had on pop culture. Uh, certainly since really since Vince took it national back in the early eighties, back in a time when Hulk Hogan was on the cover of sports illustrated, you know, arguably that was a boom period. I, I think the Monday night war era or attitude era, I call it the nitro era because nitro is what was the catalyst for the attitude era in WWE. It was their way of competing with WCW because nitro was so hot. That could be considered to many people, a, a boom period. I, I kind of look at those two periods, both when Vince took the, the, the product national and, and kind of took a sledgehammer to the old territory system. Uh, some people can call that a boom period. Some people like me would call it a pivotal period. It was pivotal to the growth in, in terms of where we are now, as was the Nitro era or Attitude era or Monday Night War era, whatever you want to call it. But I think it's undeniable. Just you have to look at the numbers. The numbers dictate the facts. And the facts are the numbers are bigger now than they've ever been. Yeah. There's more revenue being generated. There's more distribution. The product is being accepted at a mainstream level, mainstream level in ways heretofore we've not seen. So, you know, you can have opinions and I get it. And you know, there's no right or wrong answer because so much of it, except for the numbers, are subjective. But I agree with Conrad. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. And I share that sentiment. I think it's an amazing time that we are witnessing in pro wrestling right now. So many things happening. I, I want to say something here real quick, Eric, just because last week we did a, a really big episode of this show and there was a lot of chatter about it. And I'm so grateful for the passionate fans that we have of Strictly Business who really get so jazzed up about the discussions that we have on this podcast. Uh, but, but I do want to make one thing clear. There are going to be times on this podcast where Eric and I disagree on something that maybe one company does versus another does, or maybe Eric has a stance on something that, for example, AEW is doing, and I'll have a counterpoint to it. That doesn't necessarily mean that I disagree with the point that Eric is making or whatever is being said. A podcast relies on two-way conversation, and 
I think that what we've really struck here, Eric, and I'm very proud of it, is we have these productive back and forths where we can nudge each other a little bit without crossing that line of disrespect. And I think that it's one of the great things about discourse where you can have positive, productive conversation about these pretty granular topics, to borrow a word from our friend Jeff Jarrett. And uh, I, I know there will be times where it sounds like I'm defending AEW or defending WWE or anything like that. But I think it's so important to have counterpoints to further discussion on podcasts. And I just wanted to put that out there because I see some of the comments we get and uh, the wrestling fandom right now is so supercharged with how pro hot all these products are. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I want to throw that out there into the ether because I know you're appreciative of the discourse that we have here and I hope our fans can appreciate that as well. Yeah, I get real bored with talking to people who agree with everything I say or think the way I think. That's not really interesting to me. It's not challenging. It doesn't challenge. I don't challenge myself, um, which I need to do, like we all do. Uh, if if any of us are so committed to our positions and not willing to have a discussion and willing to be wrong about something, then fuck you. Go talk to somebody else. Don't talk to me. <laughs> And, and, but I'm with you. I mean, who would want to hear two people just agree on everything, too? I, that, I mean, that doesn't serve a purpose for even having a show in that sense. And so when I see these comments like, oh, Conrad's an AW Mark, John's an AW Mark or WWE Mark, I'm, I'm saying to myself, man, you know, part of this productive discourse is to have counterpoints and challenge one another. And it doesn't mean you're lockstep in disagreement or in agreement on everything. But I think it's pivotal to have that in order to have quality conversation on these shows. So, um I, fully, I, fully agree. Fully, some of the best shows that Conrad and I have ever had are the ones when we just butt heads and go back and yeah. forth and argue our points and defend our positions. And when we get done doing the show and we hang up and talk about when we're going to get together and have a beer ladder. Right, so exactly. It's exactly. all good, brother. It's all good. I saw one comment. One comment on every show. I was like, man, I think Eric fucking hates John. And I was just like, no, I don't think he does. I hope he doesn't. So <laughs> we, uh, we, we had a great time in Fresno a few months back. Hope we get to do that again. We got more people from the ad-free shows gang in here. Uh, M. Nunley Charter says, hey, everyone, Eric, the beard completes the Connery vibe. Okay, I see it. I see it. I, like uh, I need to work on the accent. I wish I could do a good Sean Connery accent. But <laughs> Mouthpiece Murphy says, what's going on, gang? Um, and I'm going to get to this one right here to kick us off on this Ask Eric because we actually just seconds ago, Eric, got the Dynamite viewership. They did 901,000 viewers this week. And one of the most heavily advertised segments for the show was this address to the fans from Sting, where he announced that come Revolution 2024, which will be probably around March, end of February, uh, he will be retiring and for good this time. Uh, so Coach Rosie wants to know, do you think the road to Sting's retirement will increase numbers for AEW? Hard to say. Depends what they do. What's the buildup look like? Is there a story leading into it? How much promotion does it get? How much attention does it get? Um, remains to be seen. Do I think it can increase the numbers? Absolutely, I think it can. Do I think it will? Who knows? We'll find out. What are your thoughts on the Sting retirement? Uh, I'm happy for him. You know, I think anytime somebody that's been in the public eye and in a career like professional wrestling in particular, uh, has an opportunity to kind of end their career the way they want to under their own terms. Um, that's always a great thing. So I'm I'm happy I'm happy for Steve Borden. I'm 
happy for the fans who've been a fan of the character Sting for God, how many years now? 40, 48, yeah. whatever mm-hmm. it's been, a long, long time. Um, I'm happy for the fans and, and hope that it plays out really, really well so that when it's all over and said and done, and Steve Borg is sitting on a rocking chair somewhere in Dallas, Texas, watching the sunset, he can look back on this part of his career and, and smile because that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think it's amazing that he got this run here after his WWE retirement. You know, his WWE run didn't end on his terms. It ended in an injury, and he ended up getting a chance to go out here and have some fun in AEW, and I think he's done a really great job uh, at that. Is there anyone, hypothetically speaking, in your mind that you'd love to see as his final opponent? <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning, actually. I, the natural story says Darby Allen, but I'm curious if there's anyone else that comes to mind for you. Well, there is, but it'll never happen, nor do I think it should happen, but it would be cool if it would or could. I'd love to see him. I'd love to see he and Rick. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's, oh, man. That, that's a full circle scenario right there. You that know, was Rick not Flair a name was, I was expecting to hear. Rick, Rick Flair is the, the, the guy that actually puts Sting on the map. And I think it would be just an awesome. And again, I fully recognize that it's, I should never say, never say never, but highly unlikely is it probably is that it would ever happen if it were possible. Wouldn't that be awesome? Anyone on the active AEW roster come to mind? No, no. I'll tell you. It's not to say that, you know, Darby Allen couldn't be a good choice or there, there could be other good choices again, depending on the story. Yeah. But it's not that there isn't anybody there that would be, you know, a great candidate. It's just that the best candidate I think would be Ric Flair, yeah. but I'm, I'm sure there are others, you know, there's obviously there's a potential in Darby Allen. Um, there could be a great story there. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but I'm sure there yeah. could be one. If Max was a heel at that point, I think MJF versus sting in a title versus career match would be a hell of a way for him to go out. I think that'd be a really, and Max is the type of guy who could give him a great, last match i'd love to see something like that but uh, we'll see where they are positioned at that time uh let's go to brad stanton saying eric do you think it's smart it's a smart business move for organizations like aw and impact to allow their talent to work the indies and other promotions i wouldn't do it where's the benefit other than to the talent and to the indie promoter what where's the benefit Where's the risk? I guess you could probably, if you dig deep enough and hard enough and you wanted to justify your position badly, you could come up with a benefit. Maybe because you're supporting the indie scene and some, you know, building some loyalty and you know, following within the independent audience. And that's it's not a bad argument. It's just the value of that argument is, is minimal, in my opinion. What's the risk? Well, the risk is somebody gets hurt on the indie scene and takes them off your roster. Um, I think that's probably happened in the past. I just don't see a scenario where the risks out, or excuse me, the, the, the benefits out, outweigh the risks. I'll provide a counter here, and I'm curious what you think about it. Back in the late 90s, when WWE had the Funkin' Dojo, and Dr. Tom was one of the head coaches there, and Dory Funk, uh, junior um 
they used to have partnerships, WWE, with specific indies. There was a handful of them that they had partnerships with because they didn't have their own true developmental territory where they would send their developmental talent or some low-level roster talent to go work on these approved indies so they could get reps in. Now, AEW, Impact, those companies don't have developmental systems. AEW's got plenty of TV where they can throw dark matches out there, but they're not running house shows. Could there be a benefit to that with select approved indies and select approved talent, allowing them to maybe get some reps in front of crowds? Have you ever played golf? Of course. Are you good at it? I wouldn't say I'm particularly great. Are you average at it? I'd say I'm an average golfer. As an average golfer, would it take you, would would you get any benefit from taking lessons from somebody who's less proficient in golf than you it's a good point here's your answer there you go what are you going to learn on the indie scene how are you going to improve on the indie scene all you're going to do is learn a bad golf swing and it becomes twice as difficult to unlearn a bad golf swing and unlearn bad habits that it takes to learn good ones or to learn a good golf swing we got one from aiden here It's an interesting one. Do you think the American gladiators in early 90s affected wrestling? They were a similar genre, ran same arenas, aimed at the same demographic. WWE and WCW had worse years in the early 90s when American gladiators had their best years and they finished up just as Nitro started. Yeah, that's a great question and a great observation. And I just watched, uh, I think it was on Netflix, there's a, a series about the American gladiators, which I found fascinating, by the way. Uh I remember when I first came to WCW, um, there was a tremendous amount of conversation internally about how wrestling was never going, you know, because you got to remember WWE was on a real downswing. That was at the peak of the steroid trials and the television ratings were suffering. The house show business for WWE was suffering. The business was on a general downturn and WCW was they, they'd never experienced an upcharge. So they, they were in the toilet to begin with. So th- there was a the consensus by from a lot of people, and I'm talking about executives within Turner, not necessarily people within WCW, although there were many of them as well, that felt like, oh man, wrestling's just, it's never going to come back because there's this new thing, American Gladiators, and it's, you know, high production values, and it's physical, and their characters, and blah, 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 blah. It had many of the elements, some of the elements, of professional wrestling, but it was in a much more updated kind of format. So I think for maybe a period of time, perhaps I wasn't involved in the business of the wrestling business at the time. I was a mere talent. And I'm guessing that from an ad sales perspective, there might've been some people who perhaps were looking at professional wrestling that went, oh, wait a minute, there's this other thing over here called American Gladiators. And it's way cooler and it's easier for people to, to, to identify with wrestling's a little harder. It's a, it, it, it was, and still is in many respects, a niche product. But I think at that time, perhaps it impacted the, the syndication portion of the industry because syndication was still a very vital part of the television distribution business of the wrestling business at that time. And syndication, uh, was a big part of the American Gladiators strategy. 
So I'm sure it affected syndication, which eventually or, or down the line would have impacted ad sales and distribution. So I think it probably did, but it's hard for me to say because, like I said, I wasn't in the business of the business. I was a mere talent. I think and oftentimes, great- and I talked about this earlier today, this is going to go up the ass of a lot of talents out there, and many of them are friends of mine. And sorry, guys, facts are facts. Talent lives in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And with a very small, very small handful of exceptions, talent never gets near the actual business of the wrestling business. Their life is what goes on inside of that wrestling ring. They're affected by the business of the wrestling business and they hear about it, but they're not engaged in it. And as a result, for the most part, clueless. Just like wrestling executives who have never wrestled, really, although they understand it, they may have been exposed to what goes on in a wrestling and have a better understanding than the average fan. But unless you've been in the ring and done it, you don't really understand it. It's one of the reasons why I tend to be very, very careful about criticizing or critiquing even in-ring action. I'll talk about what I like and I don't like as a matter of taste and subjective opinion. But for me to analyze a wrestling match when I've never done it, I'm very careful about that. And that's one of the reasons why sometimes I hear people that are amazing wrestling talents and have achieved great things in the ring venture out and start pontificating about the business of the wrestling business. And it just makes me laugh because they're making asses of themselves for the most part, just like I would be if I were to start criticizing in-ring work. Fair assessment there. It's a great question, by the way, because America is a great question. Appreciate it very much. Was a phenomenon at the time. You mentioned Eric, all those talent that you, and you have so many friends that are talent. Uh, Well, why not congregate all those talent in the same place? Because You can do just that at WrestleCade, which is just around the corner, a little over a month from now. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. It's going to be a great time. WrestleCade weekend is a three-day family-friendly convention for fans of wrestling and sports entertainment. It brings together more than 125 of your favorite wrestling stars and personalities from all different eras, featuring live pro wrestling pay-per-views all three days, meet and greets with your favorite wrestling stars, question and answer panels, live wrestling podcasts, costume contests, wrestling-related merchandise for sale, and a whole lot more. It's going down November 24th through the 26th. That is right after Thanksgiving at the Ben Convention Center in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Eric, you were there last year. I was there last year. WrestleCade really is one of the best conventions out there. Uh, what are you most looking forward to about heading over there? You know, it's just always fun to meet fans. Uh, I'm going to bring, uh, I'm going to have copies of my new book, Grateful, there, along with copies of Controversy Creates Cash. So we may uh, come up with some kind of special offer for ad free shows, members, and listeners of 83 Weeks or Strictly Biz. Business. We haven't worked it out yet, but the books will be there. I'll be there. It'll be fun just, you know, talking to fans and and seeing, you know, people that I haven't seen in a long time and, and, and hanging out with, uh, with folks I used to work with. It'll, I always look forward to that. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there representing ad-free shows, and you're going to be able to check out a live version of my other podcast, The Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, 
We're going to be on stage that Friday night at 8.30 Eastern, right after the GCW show. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Tickets and more information can be found now at WrestleCade.com. Come say hi. We'd love to see you there. And nice little treat after Thanksgiving. So head on down to Winston-Salem, November 24th through the 26th. That is WrestleCade.com. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Let's continue now, Eric, with our questions from some of our favorite ad-free shows fans. Uh, we got one here from Adam. What are your thoughts on WWE now running banner ads during matches like soccer does with the sideline board? Does it detract from the matches? For instance, there was a serious feud between Ray and Dominic, and WWE was running images of Cinnamon Toast Crunch while the two guys were in the ring trying to tell a story. It doesn't bother me. You know, I don't think it necessarily detracts from the story. I understand why some people, because it's different. It's something new. The tendency of human nature is to resist anything that's new and different. Um, we'll get used to it. It, it. I don't think it detracts. And look, you can look at it any way you want to, but it's business. And the, the better the business is, the more wrestling you're going to see, the better quality wrestling you're going to see, the more wrestling you're going to see. So you may not like it initially, but trust me, you'll get used to it. You'll get over it. Just like picture within a picture and a lot of other things that happen in wrestling, because at the end of the day, man, you got to survive. You've got to make money. That's what this is all about. It's all about money. It is the business of the wrestling business, if you will baby and if you can't get over that then i don't know go watch a youtube show <laughs> it, it reminds me of when the nba and major league baseball started putting some branding on their uniforms everyone's like oh my goodness it's going to detract from everything you're going to be so distracted by these advertisements on their jerseys and guess what you got like three games into the season and nobody cared after that it just it ultimately becomes so ingrained into the product and you don't even notice it after a while so uh, I, I agree with you on that one. Let's go to Josh Eisenberg here. It says, if there is one professional athlete based on personality and charisma that you'd like to see transition into sports entertainment or pro wrestling, 
Who could move the needle and fill their pockets with cash? Who would it be and why? God, I don't know. It might have been an easier question to answer a couple of years ago, but with what we've seen out of Logan Paul and Bad Bunny, um, how do you top that? I, yeah. I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that would come close, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think about that one overnight to be able to come yeah. up with anything that resembled a reasonable answer. What do you think of Logan Paul calling out Rey Mysterio for the United States Championship after his boxing win? Is that like you can't buy better publicity than that? A pro's pro. He fell into the pro's pro category in that moment as far as I'm concerned. It was amazing. I, WWE must have been salivating at that. Like, mass attention. It was all over social media. And it worked out because he won his boxing match. So he gets to call out Ray Mysterio. I didn't see that. I heard it was a mess, though, right? It was a mess. It was indeed a AKA mess. a clusterfuck. Yes, it certainly yeah, was. That's what but, I heard. but, I mean, that's just publicity that is so above and beyond. He really, for as controversial a figure as he is, he has just been such a freaking pro with wwe it's it's really impressive to see what he has become and now uh, leveraging it and i think the thing too eric with this question in particular the expectation now is if you're a celebrity coming in or an athlete coming in you got to be able to go in some capacity that is the expectation I, I, the bar has been raised i i said that after bad bunny is like oh wow <laughs> the good news is this celebrity who came in with a massive, massive following from another form of entertainment, i.e. music, stepped into a wrestling ring and set the bar so high that what other celebrity is going to want to follow that? And then comes along, you know, Logan Paul, of course. But that's like Logan Paul and Bad Bunny are in their own universe. I know it's going to be a long time, I think, before we see another celebrity that comes into the ring with the kind of gravity that those two have individually in terms of their, their following uh, and come in and over-deliver in such a shocking way. Like, what do you, who wants to follow that? <laughs> you're going to get shit on. If you're a celebrity and you come in and you don't deliver half of what those two delivered, you, you're going to wish you didn't do it. It's pretty yeah. amazing. And and with the way that conditioning is for pro athletes now and how staunch it is, I'd be surprised if we see that many active athletes try to Oh, you won't over. see any. Their their contracts prohibited. Exactly. You're, you're not going to see it. You know, the so owners are not going to let it happen. Agents or the the like days that. of the Kevin Green while he was an active member of the Pittsburgh Steelers roster or the Carolina Panthers roster, those are those days are gone or Dennis Rodman or Carl Malone while they're active parts of their roster. Those days are gone. You're not going to see that. You'll see guys that are retired, former athletes, but uh, I don't think you, you're not going to see any. For the same reason that we talked about earlier, about does it make any sense to have guys on your roster you know, perform in the indies? The risks outweigh the game. And when you're, if you're a pro team and you're investing 20 and 30 and tens of millions of dollars a year, guaranteeing contracts and then during the off season your guys out there bouncing around a fucking wrestling ring eh, i don't see it i don't think it'll ever happen again pat mcafee is another one of course too who's just been fantastic uh, in that role was there ever someone athlete specifically maybe an nfl guy an nba guy that you wanted that you didn't get no no 
No, I, I never sought anybody out. There was everybody that there was never anyone. I went, Oh man, I wish we could get that guy. Um, no, honestly, it shocks me. Deion Sanders never tried to cross over into that because he is like a walking, talking pro wrestling pro. When would he have the time? He's playing baseball. He's playing, he's playing baseball and football. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> he just, he had had to squeeze it in on his lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> Only man ever to hit a home run and score a touchdown in the same week. How wild is that? Just absolutely crazy. Let's go to David here. What were the two or three best markets or cities you guys would run while winning the Monday Night War? And conversely, which were the most difficult to break into monetary-wise? Oh, hard to say for sure. Uh, Chicago was great during that period of time. Minnesota was pretty good during that that period of time. Um, East Coast was good. But it was a harder nut to crack because WWE had for so many yeah. decades dominated that market. There was so much loyalty to the WWE product. It wasn't until later on, 97, 98, that that market really started to open up for us. And of course, we were, you know, locked out of Madison Square Garden and had, you know, we, we did do some shows at the Continental Airlines Arena and things like that that were really good for us. But if I had to pick one, I would say Chicago. In terms of difficult, uh, the West Coast markets were always more difficult for us. Again, until 97 and 98 when we became so hot. But up until that point, late in our success, those were tough markets for us to crack. Because again, they were dominant WWE markets. The TBS footprint was not a very dominant footprint as far as the network goes on the West Coast. Uh, so that, that, that made it more difficult for us in those markets. Yeah. I remember when we did our live show in Fresno, we were trying to go through and see if WCW had any notable moments in Fresno. And there were so few house shows even run in that general area, despite all the wrestling history that was in San Francisco. And we couldn't really find that much. So that all tracks and lines up. Uh, we got one from Andrew here. What form of merchandising do you feel is the most untapped or underutilized at the current time in pro wrestling? Currently, oh my god, I don't know, man. I, I, is there anything that hasn't been tapped? I mean, I think WWE has done such a phenomenal job with their licensing over the last three decades. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can't see anything yet that that I that I think has been untapped. Um, uh, again, that's something I have to give a lot more thought to. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Mostly because, again, WWE has done such a phenomenal yeah. job, not just recently, but over the last 20, 30 years, their licensing division has done a phenomenal job. When you look at the number of licenses, some of these, I was talking to Hulk a while back, and he, he had something like 600, and he's out of the he's out of the picture. He's not even in the picture. That's something like 600 licenses in WWE. Don't quote me on that something astounding some massive number of licenses and he's not even active member of the roster so i i don't think there's anything that's untapped some of it we don't see as much as possibly we might but i don't know i have to give that some thought i feel like the most recent one they tried was the whole nft endeavor and it didn't really work out yeah but the nft that didn't work out for 
it didn't work out for blockchain took a shit folks. Yeah. the entire blockchain industry which the nft industry was built upon just crashed uh, a, a year or two ago and there's a lot of businesses that were associated with with blockchain a lot of video game companies that were really gearing up for that blockchain really seeing how blockchain was going to be the future of the video game industry one individual, I'm not going to drop his name right now because I don't think he'd appreciate it, who is very, very, very visible in that world um, and was extremely bullish on the whole NFT idea and, and thought that that was going to change everything. Super, super successful guy. He probably spent more money yesterday than I'll make in the next 10 years. But that business completely crashed. But that was not because the idea was wrong. It was because the entire blockchain infrastructure just crashed. Let's go to Tyler Brown. What did you think about the WCW video games back in the day? Did you ever play them? What was the strategy with the video games, Eric? Uh, no, I never played them. I, I kind of was outside of the demo as they were emerging. It was never my thing to sit down and play video games. I've never been a video game guy. Even I think I played Pong when it first came out because it was new and you could play it on your TV. And I, I might have dabbled in that for a minute. But after that minute or two, I kind of lost interest in it. I've just never been interested in video games. Um, in terms of strategy, I don't know that there was a real strategy other than let's try to get a deal and let's try to get the best deal we can. And the best deal we could get at the time was a, I think it was either an eight or a $10 million guarantee upfront from EA sports for a WCW video, video game license. So it's not that we weren't successful in it, but it was never something that I was familiar enough or passionate about enough to interject myself into. It was an important part of our business. Don't get me wrong but there were other people who were much more knowledgeable and much more interested in that space than I was. I was interested in the business of the business, in the business of video games, but I wasn't interested in the product itself. So at the time, was it all that lucrative for you guys? Or do you think that came as video games developed? Well, it came as, video, as well, yeah. both really. Video games began to really emerge at about the same time that WCW was really beginning to have some great success. Hence the EA Sports guarantee. Um, but up until that point, you know, WCW wasn't hot enough. Even if the video game business would have been, WCW wasn't a hot enough property property to interest a video game company. But there, there was kind of a meeting of the minds, if you will, meaning a, 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 an intersection between the growth of, of video games in general and the growth of WCW that we were fortunate enough to take advantage of at one point in time. But like I said, it was never, it was never high on my list of things to get done because it was, it was an area of the business that I wasn't intimate with. I think I've shown you this, but uh, a few months ago, a friend of mine surprised me with this WCW versus NWO world tour gameplay book. And I'll tell you, Eric, when I got my hands on this thing, just seeing the nostalgia you would have thought that I popped a blue chew right beforehand because boy, howdy, was I excited. And uh, I, you wouldn't blame me if I did because 
This episode of Strictly Business is proudly sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about sex, gents. Guys, remember the days back when you're always ready to go? Well, now, more than ever, you can increase your performance and get that extra little step of confidence in bed. I want to tell you all how you can do that. BlueChew.com is the place to go. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is so simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you're going to receive your prescription in just a matter of days. And the best part is it is all done online, so no weird visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and you know they're good because their tablets are made right here in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a very discreet package. You won't even know where they came from. Eric, I know you got that beard going on right there, and I know you said earlier Mrs. B wants you to shave it off. So hypothetically, when you do shave it off, is it just going to be a matter of seconds before you pop that blue chew and get ready to go? Let's just say it's my go-to. It's it's you know <laughs> I, I'm, it's not like I need it, but I, I I always say this: if you're going to do something, regardless of what it is, do you not want to perform to your very best? I do. So yeah, it's my go-to. Whether whether I need it or not, I want it. Because why would you not want a reason to? Why would you settle for anything less than optimal performance? It begs I, the question: Are you really interested in what you're doing? Are you really committed to what you're doing? I tend to commit to what I do. Hence, optimal optimal performance is key. And when it comes to my more intimate moments with Mrs. B, Bluetooth is right there waiting for. As you said earlier, why would you settle for anything less than average? You would never want to do that. And Blue Chew is more than average. It's way above average. And they're going to be helping you out here whenever you chew it and do it. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. We got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WrestleBiz at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code WrestleBiz, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z, to receive your first month absolutely free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring this edition. Of <laughs> it's, like, it's like, David, and I think I'm going to pronounce this correctly, Von Boglian from Anfree Shows, who said, if I'm allowed to cork the bat, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I could not have said it better myself. If I butchered your name, David, I apologize, but I love the comment. <laughs> we love all of our comments here on Strictly Business. Denovius, what's going on, brother? Good to see hey, you in Denovious. here. Uh, again, guys, if you got questions and you're live in the Adfree Shows chat, we would love to hear what you have to say. Uh, this is one of the fantastic upsides of being able to be part of our ad free shows family you get these recordings live and you can ask eric in real time about them uh, let's get one from adam here how much does eric believe moving from raw is actually being discussed and would it hurt the show ratings wise um just i guess that means moving monday moving moving monday. so moving raw to a different day of the week you know it's always a challenge because you're breaking a habit. You know, one of the things you do when you're creating a television brand or a property is you're trying to develop a habit with your audience to tune in. 
you want them to anticipate, you want them to make it a part of the regular viewing habit. And anytime you move from your regular night, either voluntarily or, or, or not voluntarily, it has, a, it has a negative impact. Hard to measure sometimes. And what makes it difficult to measure is because the, the wrestling audience is extremely loyal. Like fans of Raw, first of all, they're going to know well in advance when it's moving and where. So the odds that you're going to lose a significant part of your audience for any length of time is pretty minimal because of that loyalty. Maybe initially, because again, people are, are slow to change their habits and it takes a little bit of effort to, to remember to program your DVR, to remember to schedule you know your, your week around something that's changing nights if you like to watch it live. So I think initially you're going to take a little bit of a hit. I can't put a number on that. I don't think anybody can. It's there, but it's minimal. Um, but it's something that it, it doesn't take long. You know, we, we've seen it before. You know, shows have moved nights before. And, and uh, yeah, there's a bit of a hit, but it doesn't last long. And the audience will find you, especially the wrestling audience. Mondays are such an institution for wrestling. They have been for 30 years now. Should Monday Night Raw move off Mondays? Could you see anyone else trying to take advantage of that real estate? No. No. Who's who's going to try? Well, like hypothetically, and again, hypotheticals here. Let's say Raw moved to Tuesday or Thursday. Could you see Turner... Warner Bros. Discovery wanting to move Collision off Saturdays and into Monday. They may want to, but I don't ever see it happening. No. I, I, I just, because now you're, now you've got how many months of football that you're up against? Yeah, but they're already up against football. Not to the, not, they're not up against Monday night football. They're not, but. Primetime SEC football on Saturdays is not all that far off. Okay. You, I know, you're I'm the just, sports guy. You're the sports guy. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to your opinion. I'm just hypothetically riffing here. Like, I don't know. It, it, it to me, it seems like ha habits are innate, right? And people know that Mondays are associated with two things, Monday Night Football, Monday Night Raw. And there's that real estate that could be potentially sitting there and, would you be doing any worse than you're already doing on a Saturday night? We've already talked about how Saturday nights aren't super desirable in the first place. Well, let's, let's, how many, and I don't expect you to know, this is almost a rhetorical question, but in case somebody else out there knows that's watching amongst the ad free show live audience, how many people watched SEC football last Saturday night? What was the total viewing audience? I can try to research that here real quick. Three million, two million football audience. Let's see. I get that pulled up here. Uh, so Saturday nights, NBC Sports. This is for their Big Ten covered Saturday nights, averaging four point one million viewers. How many people watched Monday Night Football this past Monday night? Twice that many. Monday Night Football viewership, let's see here. They are doing much more than that. They're doing about four times that. 
Wait, wait, what was the number for Saturday night? Saturday night was a little over four million. And Monday night football does four times that. They're doing about sixteen million. There's your answer. Yep. I was just curious. Just curious. It, what what is interesting? Isn't that a fun too, exercise? Is that a fun what is interesting too, Eric? Let's say, because all of this is entirely determined by who WWE partners up with for Monday Night Raw. Like hypothetically speaking, if Amazon purchases the rights to Monday Night Raw. It's not likely Monday Night Raw is going to be moving to Thursdays because they have Thursday Night Football on Amazon. Why would they shoot themselves in the foot and put this new property against their own property? It doesn't seem like that would make any sense. Would they stick it on Mondays and continue to run against the institution when they themselves have their own football rights? So then would they explore Tuesdays or Wednesdays? It's, it's really interesting because it is based on that first domino that falls of where do they land before you determine when do they land. I don't see Tuesday night as being an option. You've got NXT on Tuesday nights. I see Wednesday being well, an option. I don't see Thursday. Friday, we're already doing. Maybe Friday's a, an option. For, for Christian, what are you going to do with SmackDown? I, I, I don't know. I think, you know, you can you can fantasy program a lot of different ways with a lot of different prospective players, but I, I, I kind of don't see it moving from Monday night, to be honest. I'm sure there's discussions about it, and I'm sure if the money was right, WWE would do it. But the money would have to be pretty spectacular. Yeah. And and the and the the, the distribution partner, whether it be streaming streaming or cable, would have to be fairly significant. Yeah. Just keep in mind, you don't want to lose. Even if the money's there, you don't want to lose audience because that audience is what's driving your premium live events and your licensing and your merchandising and. And, and your live events, your non-televised live events. So, you, you know, you, you've got to service that portion of your business as yeah. well. Raw has been really struggling the past few weeks in terms of viewership. They've had a few really bad viewership, which is crazy because, honestly, I think the last month of Monday Night Raw, quality of programming-wise, has been some of the strongest episodes they've been putting on in a really long time. I've really enjoyed the structuring I, of Monday Night yeah, Raw. I, I guess that's subjective. You know, I think 1. Yeah. 1.5, 1.4, 1.5, 1.6 million viewers head-to-head -head with Monday Night Football mm -hmm. with demos that are in the 0.4s and 0.5s. I, I don't see that as pretty miserable. I I'm not saying it's highly, miserable. I'm saying they've been down. They're down. I mean, it's unquestionable. They are down. There's they go down every year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's seasonal. Yeah. But I, I do think the product has been really, really good. I, I agree. loved, I thought this past week's episode of Monday Night Raw was really strong. I mean, Gunther and Bronson Reed just tore it the hell down. And you had a great angle in your main event to propel that story forward. Really, really good and stuff. I, and again, and, you look at it from the business aspect. Do you think anybody at USA Network is... You think there's any gnashing of teeth and wringing of hands in the USA Network when the numbers come in and they deliver a 1.5 million viewers with a 0.4 in the, no. in the demo no. against Monday Night Football? No. When there's a lot of advertisers out there that just simply cannot afford or won't afford to advertise in Monday Night Football, sure. but can reach that demo that everybody's fighting for? Mm -hmm effectively and efficiently inside of Monday Night Raw, I, I think I think USA's pretty... I'll be shocked yeah. if USA lets it go, to be honest with you. So you think you could see them trying to retain all three shows? I do. Okay. I can. Okay. And I want to say straight up, I am not 
crapping on a 1.4 or anything like that. I'm just saying it is down, but again, context against Monday Night Football. Uh, But to my point about the quality of the show, which I think has been the general consensus that it it really has improved quite a bit in the last month, uh, a lot of that seemingly stemming from this report that we got last week, uh, PW Insider was first to report and then Sports Illustrated gave a little more context that essentially Vince McMahon is out of creative and it is Paul Levesque's show through and through as the chief content officer. And this change came from Ari Emanuel, who wants people in their positions to be doing exclusively their job. That also stemmed off of comments where Ari Emanuel was asked about the WWE TKO stock coming down a bit. And he mentioned that some of the stuff that Vince McMahon's been going through might be part of the reason for that. Yeah. You have any thoughts on any of that, Eric? Yeah, I, I would refer people to Brandon Thurston's um comments on, on i saw it on twitter i think brandon did a great job of putting these various reports into the proper context and really respect brandon for doing a great job of covering things objectively and thoroughly and putting things in context rather than just grabbing headlines which is what others tend to do more often than not in all forms of media not just peripheral wrestling media um look i think Having a very, very limited experience working in WWE creative with Vince, directly with Vince. Um, While I was there, one of the things that frustrated me and was a challenge for me personally, and let me be clear, you know, my lack of success in WWE was on me. It was my lack of ability to adapt, my lack of ability to read the room, so to speak. And, and find my comfort zone in that culture and in that process. It wasn't anybody else's fault but mine. So I want to make it clear that I'm not making excuses, okay? It's all on me. I was given the keys to the car. I just couldn't figure out how to drive it. And I'm not talking about creating and, and coming up with ideas. I'm talking about working within that process. Because it's a very unique process. And one of the things that made it challenging for me was not fully understanding where the responsibilities lie. Ultimately, I was given certain responsibilities, but the real responsibility remained with Vince McMahon. I think that filtered down to some of the people that I worked with on my writing staff, for example, who were never really sure who the boss was. Well, actually, they knew <laughs> that it was Vince McMahon because they understood have been through it before. But I think when you've got a creative team and staff that are walking on eggshells and never quite sure who they're reporting to directly and and concerned with not the person that's their immediate boss, but concerned with the other boss that they know is really making the shot, calling the shots, it's just not a productive environment to be in. You don't get the best out of anybody in that environment. And there were some people there that had been there for a long time. One person in particular that had a breakdown as a result of it. it it's just not a healthy environment. Yeah. And, and I say that in all due respect to Vince McMahon, because in truth, you and I wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation today were it not for 
Vince McMahon. No doubt. AEW wouldn't be around today were it not for Vince McMahon. No doubt. WCW would have never been around were it not for Vince McMahon. So people can be as critical and latch on to headlines and try to, you know, build stories around certain aspects of a, of a statement or, or take things out of context and try to build upon it to get clicks and whatever. I don't want to be one of them. You know, I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Vince. That's not to say that I think everything that he did was right. I, 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 I couldn't figure out a way to make it work for me. I couldn't figure out a way to contribute best for me in that environment. And I think there were other people that felt the same way. I think what Ari did was smart. I think it was time. I think Paul Levesque deserves to be that guy and to be held accountable. But along with being accountable, you have to have control. You can't hold someone accountable without giving them control. I can't make you accountable for making sure my lawn is mowed if I don't let you on my property. That's a bad analogy, but I think you get my point. I think what Ari did was what any CEO or leader should do, which is put the very best people you can in the roles that they can optimize. I think that was the choice. That was the decision. I think it was the healthiest decision possible for WWE, for, for the creative team, and for the product overall. I, I applaud the decision. But because I applaud it doesn't mean I have any anything less than a tremendous amount of respect for what Vince McMahon has accomplished over the last yeah. 40 years. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I think you can have those two differing thoughts there, and I totally agree with you. I also bring up the fact that right now WWE is in a negotiations period with TV rights and licensing. And I would think financially that's especially where Vince's focus probably should lay right now, uh, working with Nick Khan to make sure that those things are taken care of. And that's going to be a substantially significant portion of his time devoted to the job. I would have to imagine. Yeah. But what's he going to do when that's over? Well, like still... once those deals are done, those deals are done. And it's like, oh man, this is a guy that's got more energy than any four people I know. What are you gonna do with that guy when he starts bouncing off the walls because there's not enough to do? Oh. Well, we'll see how much Hopefully the he takes up golf going. or something, you know? Uh, he just had that back surgery, so I don't know if golf is gonna be the best idea for him, but well, then take up sailing or yeah, some other shit. Take up laying at the beach. Yeah. What would Vince McMahon's yacht be named? Oh, God, I don't know. It would be something... A genetic jackhammer? Yeah, it'd have to be something crazy. Like... Okay, all right. <laughs> Chad Epic says, what would Vince do? Be a billionaire. There you go. No, he'd be a multi-billionaire. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no doubt about that. Uh, this is a really good question from Ed. How do you quantify the payback on a wrestler's push? Buys on pay-per-views, social media mentions, live show reactions. Somehow organizations have to recognize money to determine success and failures of angles. I think it's all of the above. It's all of the above. You know, you, you have certain indicators that are obvious, ratings being one of them. Um, live gate attendance being another. Uh, 
merchandise sales at live events, at televised events, pay-per-views, whatever, that being another one, the amount of press outside of the wrestling press, you know, wrestling press matters, but in the big scheme of things, it's insignificant. But when you get mainstream press as a result, um, that matters. The business, the business side matters. You recently, I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, I noticed that they were positioning LA Knight in a business to business environment on behalf of, of WWE. Those kind of things start to matter. You know, when, when you have talent like John Cena was, or Hulk Hogan certainly was, The Rock certainly was, that could go to business to business meetings, conventions, uh, that really mattered and could potentially move the deal. Your upfronts, for example, which is a, a very, very important part of the business-to-business side of things. Um, when you've got talent that has reached a certain level because of their push and positioning, that you can then transition into representing your company in those critical business-to-business situations, it's another good indicator. That's why I think being... The type of talent, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm excited about LA Knights. One of the reasons why I was such a, I have so much, a massive amount of respect for John Cena. It's why Hulk Hogan became Hulk Hogan. He was just as valuable to on the business to business side of things. Back when syndication was critical, Hulk Hogan was a big part of that. Um, you bring Hulk Hogan into a meeting with a general manager of a, of a local station, be it network or independent, that you really needed because you wanted to promote in that market, that's a very valuable asset. And it it becomes a return on your investment, not necessarily in a fungible way, but in an important way nonetheless. I got a ton of questions here. We'll, We'll get a couple more in and then we'll wrap up here on Strictly Business. We got so many, but I got a ton here asking about this. I'm not sure if you've actually seen this uh, if you watched nxt last week which i know you did you probably saw the first vignette but uh the general says this one comes from jm wagner have you seen how brian pillman jr is being packaged in nxt the vignettes have brian hating people talking about how great his dad was and how he wants to blaze his own trail and legacy changing his name to lexus king do you think this is a good way to repackage someone or do you think it's just a wwe presentation eric i like it I really like it. I think it gives him the best shot possible to break through. I really, really do. I I was impressed. Very impressed. Makes to see where it goes. I like it. Kind of helps you shed that stigma too that comes with being a second generation wrestler. Uh, Kevin, could you see WrestleMania doing two nights in two different countries? And I saw that on on social media, and I think I actually liked that, hoping that we would would get that question here. Never thought about it before, but wouldn't that be wild? Yeah, he suggests one night from London, one night from New York. I love that idea. I, I, Now, again, there's logistics. There's there's all kinds of reasons why I'm sure if anybody pitched it inside of WWE, there'd be people bouncing their head off any hard, sharp, painful object they could find because accomplishing that would be really difficult but wouldn't it be cool i love that idea 
It would be cool. Logistically a nightmare, but it would be very cool. There's no doubt about that. Uh, let's get this last one in here and we'll wrap up. And we, we're trying to do these Ask Eric About the Business episodes once a month. So keep those questions coming, guys. Uh, you, you've all been sending great questions in here. Uh, Scott to Trot. With AEW attendance figures not being where they should be, is now the time to run shows in more unorthodox, obscure, and unique venues? Example, Nitro debuts, spring break. The crowd may be smaller, but atmosphere and TV presentation can stand out better. Not a bad strategy. You know, I think before I spend too much time developing that strategy, I'd be looking for ways just to change, change the status quo um, and finding better ways to fill the arenas that I was in and I was booking, whatever that may be. Um, that would be my first choice. But if I'm not able to accomplish that for whatever reason, then I think, yeah, you've got to start looking at your venues because, you know, you put 3,000, 4,000 people in a 15,000 person arena and you can make it look pretty good on camera. You can camouflage it, but the energy isn't good. And here's what happens. This is a very subconscious thing. And it's it, it becomes insidious. And you don't even realize it's happening until it's too late. But when you're a fan and you go to a show and there's only you and what appears to be, even if there's three or 4,000 people there, they're, yeah, you're all kind of, roped off into an area for TV, but you're looking around and you're sitting in, in an empty arena. What looks like an empty arena from your perspective is you're sitting in your roped off section. Kind of makes you wonder, is this really worth my time? Why aren't there more people here? Especially when you see in WWE, they're selling out everywhere. Their TV shows, at least, or the pay-per-views. Premium live events, excuse me. But... It, 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 it's, it, it can become an issue if you're not careful. And I think it's much better to have a small 3,000 people in a 4,000-seat arena than it is 4,000 people in a 15,000-seat arena. That makes sense. Everyone in the discourse has been mentioning when this topic comes up that AEW ticket prices have gone through the roof over the course of the last year as opposed to what they used to be. What would be the driver of ticket prices going up when the attendance numbers aren't specifically matching that from your experience? I, I've never experienced it, so I don't know. We we always tried to keep, even when Nitro was hot, we did raise our prices. Um, but we were very cognizant to keep it as close to being family affordable as possible. Um. I think raising prices too soon before you're really that hot and pricing the average family, especially now, I mean, can you think of a worse time to raise prices than right now? Just about everybody I know is on the receiving end of bad economic news every day. You know, I talk to people who up, up until recently have had great jobs and making great money that are getting their salaries cut, hours cut back, losing their jobs, being laid off. It's not a great time to raise prices and make wrestling, which is, has been traditionally family entertainment, unaffordable. Um, because it's not just 
the ticket price. It's now you got to park the experience. And now when you get there, you want something to drink or a hot dog or taco or whatever. Merch. Have you seen the, have you seen some of the prices? Now I haven't been in a, in a live event venue in a while. Probably the last time was a concert. Uh, about, a, I don't know, two years ago. It's like a beer is 12 bucks. Yeah. So way. Oh, it's a good thing. I'm not hungry. I'm just here to catch a buzz and enjoy some music, but my God, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So yeah, you raise your ticket prices and you're trying to generate revenue and I get that part, but you're, you're also pricing, pricing some people who are your fan base out of the market. David says, I still have like seven or eight nitro ticket stubs. And one in particular from Grand Rapids was like $25 for floor level. That's like $300 for AW, he says, which is uh, $20. Yeah, and arguably AW is nowhere near as hot as Nitro. No, well, also, it's not apples to apples. The economy, inflation is very different than it was back then. Yeah, that $25 is probably more like $75 or $100 in today's money. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, But good stuff. Good stuff. Always love these Ask Eric episodes. I know you love more than anything interacting with the fans here on Strictly Business in 83 Weeks. And I, uh, I'm i grateful for every chance I get, Eric, to chat wrestling with you. And I'm excited to see you at WrestleCade next month. We'll have a lot of fun. And I hope we get to see lots of our ad-free shows fans and Podcast Heap fans, all the great podcasts we have on this network out there as well in Winston-Salem. Anything else you would like to throw out there? No, man. Enjoy the show. Enjoy seeing you and uh, look forward to next week. Certainly look forward to uh, seeing everybody, including you at uh, Starcade. I'll bring my newest book. Grateful will be there with me and you can get a twofer. Pick up two books, not for the price of one, but for a good price. We'll, we'll be there, WrestleCade. It's going to be a lot of fun and we want you on our team here on Strictly Business as well. Advertise with Eric.com. Get your business out in front of thousands of listeners and viewers get your business get your product whatever it may be sign on up with us advertise with eric.com this has been yet another edition of strictly business with eric bischoff we will see you next time john brings his skewed sense of humor jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.